And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. How many... um, How many of you out there um, either feeling this morning or have felt before, you know what, it would be really, really good if I could have all things made new? How many of you have ever felt that? Um, Because um, life can be overwhelming at times. And um, our faith can be tested. And we can begin to wonder such things as, where are you, God? Um, Where do I stand with you? What about our relationship? These circumstances in life, well, they're dark and they're overwhelming. Have you ever been there? I was um, sitting in my office preparing for this uh, series on the book of Esther um, last week uh, when that story broke. The story of uh, Jessica Ridgway, that 10-year-old that was abducted and killed. And... um, I mentioned that um, to you this morning uh, for two reasons. Uh, First and foremost, uh, please pray um, for her family and community. Please pray for Witt Elementary School in Westminster. Um, They're going to need it. The second reason I mention it is uh, literally seconds after I had um, memorized a verse that um, I wanted to open the series of Esther with, I just um, had it down, and my phone started beeping with uh, emails and uh, texts and um, Facebook posts um, responding to the tragedy. And the verse that um, I had memorized uh, is this from Ephesians chapter 6. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I thought, how fitting, how fitting in the wake of news like um, Jessica Ridgway, how fitting in um, whatever dire circumstances that um, you and I face in life. And in fact, um, how fitting for Esther and Mordecai and those Jews who lived um, such a long time ago. One, um, One of the foundational verses of the book of Esther, 
uh, foundational and uh, very well known, both inside Christian and Jewish circles and outside. They know a line from this verse, even if uh, many have forgotten or don't know it, comes from the book of Esther. And it's when Mordecai is encouraging, even compelling his young cousin Esther, who's like a daughter to him. He raised her. She was an orphan. And um, Mordecai is talking to his cousin, his daughter, encouraging her and compelling her to act in a time where she felt overwhelmed. And he says to Esther, this orphan who was made queen, as you'll hear in the story, he says to this girl, and who knows, but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. For Esther and Mordecai and those Jews in Persia, the time of this was facing annihilation of the Jewish race. And for us today, um, for such a time as this, whenever uh, dark powers, evil forces, tough circumstances are... Uh, doing evil in the world and threatening to overwhelm us. And so our time, our time with Esther uh, these next several weeks, our time with Mordecai and those Jewish people, uh, the time we spend, this book of Esther is indeed uh, for such a time as this. A time when the powers of um, this dark world can seem overwhelming. Like, um, like so many stories in the Bible, almost all of them, in fact, it's what makes the Bible so intensely relevant today, but like so many Bible stories, uh, the story of Esther in many ways um, is our story too. Collectively as God's people, but uh, also individually as God's son or God's daughter, who among us, who among us has never faced either directly or indirectly through the lives of our friends and loved ones dark powers or circumstances or things that are not as God intended nor wills them to be that seek to overwhelm us? Who hasn't been there? I've yet to met anyone who's never struggled with a feeling sometimes of being overwhelmed. Well, the story of Esther is especially, especially for those who are in a time of feeling overwhelmed. To begin our series, um, just with the time that I have this morning, um, be a little more teacher than preacher for you this morning. I want to put Esther uh, in its context, or her context. <laughs> we'll start in on the nuts and bolts of the story uh, next week, but uh, let me build some bookshelves for you that I think will help us 
hear God's cry through this amazing story. Uh, One thing of note in particular uh, about the book of Esther that makes Esther unlike any book in the Bible and is responsible for Esther really being the last one that, that got into the canon. Esther is the only book in the Bible where you will not find God's name mentioned. Neither his divine name, Yahweh, or Yahweh, nor Elohim, that Hebrew uh, title meaning God. Neither of them is mentioned. God's name is nowhere in the book. In fact, if the book didn't have, if the book wasn't about the Jews, there wouldn't be anything in that book that struck you as particularly Jewish or Christian or biblical. Nobody prays. There are no sacrifices. There's no vision. There's not even one tiny miracle. There's a brief mention of fasting. But that's it. And many pagan religions and gods had times of fasting. God's not mentioned. Because of this, this posed problems for ancient interpreters. Did you know that for the first seven centuries of the Christian church, not one commentary was written on Esther? Not one. John Calvin, uh, who preached and wrote on almost everything, so far as we know, never preached a sermon on Esther and didn't include it in his commentaries. Martin Luther Luther, um, once said of Esther and the apocryphal 2 Maccabees, Martin Luther said, I am so great an enemy to the second book of Maccabees and to Esther that I wish they had not come to us at all, for they have too many heathen unnaturalities. One question that Luther never had to answer, um, hey Martin, what do you really think? But in spite of the challenges that the book raises, the evangelical doctrine of Scripture doesn't permit us to dismiss it or downplay it or to set it aside from our rapt attention. Although God is not mentioned in the story, because the book is in the Bible, in a sense, God is telling us this story. He inspired the biblical writer to narrate events for subsequent generations, including you and me and all of us sitting here today. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. And so we can pick up with confidence the book of Esther, complete with its problems and challenges and It's unbiblical feel at times compared to the other books of the Bible. We can pick it up despite all that with the assurance because God is telling the story in the words of one commentator that God has given us bread and not a stone. In order to understand the book of Esther, what I'd like to do with you a little bit this morning again is put her in her context. Put the story in its context because I find a lot of people wonder, where, where is Esther? She's kind of hanging out there at the end of Nehemiah and before the wisdom literature. Um, 
It's, uh, I doubt anyone here has ever heard an entire series preached on Esther. If you have, let me know. It's not common because uh, it's difficult. But I want to give you a short review of Esther's historical context to help prepare us for this series. See how much you remember or how much you know. The Jews of Judah, you may recall, were carried into exile by the Babylonian king, who? King Nebuchadnezzar, good. When Nebuchadnezzar sacked the city and burned the temple to the ground in 586 B.C., This happened, according to the prophets, because God's people were disobedient. They stopped being a witness of who he is. Instead, they witnessed what the world was witnessing, adopting the same idolatrous and sinful practices, including child sacrifice. And God, I picture God weeping as he carried out that prophecy needing to take his people, needing to take the witness that was supposed to be witnessing who he was to the world, that was their job, that was their duty. Because they weren't, they were witnessing to the world what God wasn't, really out of a love for the lost world, God had to remove them from being witness for a time. And so Jerusalem fell, And the people were, the Jews were scattered to the nations. Jews refer to this as the diaspora. Maybe you've heard of that word. It simply means the scattering of the Jews among the nations. It was during that time, that diaspora, that God's people first became known as Jews, taken from the name of their homeland, Judah, and I want to pause there and ask you to reflect with me, it is It is impossible to exaggerate the significance of this exile to the Jewish people. We've heard that story before. I've heard that story before. I really tried to crawl into what their mindset was this past week. And the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, it broke this long and glorious history of a nation that had begun many centuries before when God called his people out of Egypt. And now it's gone. I was trying to imagine, and I couldn't quite get there. Imagine if you can, how would you feel if you or even your parents or your grandparents and you were hearing the story because you now suddenly find yourself living in China And the rest of Americans and some cousins that you lost track of, but you hear scattered around the globe after the United States is completely conquered and destroyed and is no more. Can you even imagine? How would you feel if America was gone? That happened to a group of people every bit, if not more, patriotic, nationalistic than us. And all they took with them, all they took with them as they were scattered to the nations was God's promise that one day he would restore 
their nation. Would that be enough for you? If that's all you had left? Five eighty six BC, the Jews lost everything. They lost their country, they lost their temple. And they struggled with serious doubt and questions with what is my relation what is our relationship to God? What about the covenant? Where God said he would give them this land. It had to be overwhelming. Has he forgotten us? Have the dark powers of this world won? Sure seems like it. And even, 47, even when 47 years later in 539 B.C., Babylon did what Almost every great ancient empire did. It was conquered. <laughs> Babylon was conquered by Persia, and so the Persians then inherited the exiled Jews among them. And that same year, Cyrus, the king of Persia, decreed that the Jews be allowed to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. We can find an account of Cyrus's decree in the Bible, Ezra chapter 1. The, those books of Ezra and Nehemiah then tell the story of how a group of Jews did just that. They went back and they rebuilt Jerusalem and the temple. But here's the historical fact that many people miss, and this is where Esther sometimes gets lost. Not all the Jews returned to the land of Israel because of Cyrus's decree. In fact, a minority of them even bothered to go back. And you might say, well, why? Why not go back? Here's this kind king. Go ahead, go back, rebuild your temple, rebuild Jerusalem. Why did only 50,000 go? And hundreds of thousands stay put. And not only did they stay put, they stayed put for nearly 400 years just in exile. Why not go back? The answer lies into that mindset again of being overwhelmed and wondering even what their standing was before the Lord. God didn't tell them to go back. A prophet didn't come and say go back. A pagan king did. And what are we going back to anyway? The land's still not ours. Belongs to Persia. And we hear tell from a few people who have gone back of this opposition by a group later known at least as the Samaritans and others who had moved in and people being killed. And Why would you want to go back there? At least we're here. We've got this king who is tolerant of us for the time being. We've got our lives and livelihood. Mm, why risk it? We'll stay until God makes it clear that we're to return. And it wasn't until 167 B.C., over 400 years later, when a group of freedom-fighting Jews called the Maccabees 
threw off the Greeks then who were the world power. And for the first time since Nebuchadnezzar in 586, in 167, Israel was again independent and in Jewish hands. And Jews today still celebrate that event with Hanukkah, which is coming up, when the temple was rededicated and it was independent again. And at that time, millions of Jews returned, many of them settling in Galilee some 150 years before Jesus and speaking with an accent because they had been so long away. So here's the thing about Esther. Esther is a story about the Jews who were so overwhelmed, so uncertain, so where in the world do we stand with God because of all these circumstances that make us wonder that they stayed behind. They remained in Persia and didn't return to Jerusalem with Zerubbabel and Ezra and the rest. They stayed where they were, even though Cyrus said, it's okay, you can go back. They stayed. And Esther's story Oh, that happened about 30 to 50 years in after Cyrus said you can go back. Esther tells the story of what happened to those Jews overwhelmed that stayed behind and didn't return to Jerusalem. And in my opinion, feeling something like in their overwhelmed state What Paul would later phrase, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. What's going on? What about the covenant? What about our relationship to God? Now, the United States of America, praise Lord, has not been conquered and destroyed, and we're not in exile. We have our nation. But do you ever feel exiled, uh, in a sense at least, at least as citizens of the perfect world when it's fully realized and the kingdom of God is fully established? And do you ever feel that sense of being sojourners on our way to something yet? And do you ever feel that maybe God has forgotten you in exile, in a world full of evil, in tough circumstances, you name what they are. Do you ever feel that way? Hey. Do you even know what's going on? Where do I stand with you? I think it's easy to feel that way sometimes because of all that's going on in the world. You know, in Esther's day, the Bible zeroes in on Jerusalem and on those Jews in Persia as if that was the center of world history. It wasn't, at least not to the people living then. That was relatively irrelevant. At the same time that uh, the Esther story is happening, um, Greek influence is reaching its golden age. The same century of Esther, Socrates is born. Right at this same time, Pythagoras not only established his school of religion and mathematics, 
but he gave us the Pythagorean theorem, which even students of algebra and geometry today still learn. The Olympics were already 200 years old, the story of Esther. The focus of world history was not on Jerusalem and this uh, small band of Jews in Persia. It was elsewhere with all these grand events. And there sat the Jews in exile wondering, has God forgotten about us? I'll leave you with this. If there's a big idea from today's message, which admittedly sets up the series, it's something like this, if I could have it on the slide. God often, very often works in unlikely places through unlikely people in unlikely ways through seemingly insignificant events. If there's one thing, I think, that Esther presents strongly, foundationally, it's that truth. And while he often works in unlikely ways, in unlikely places, through unlikely people, in seemingly insignificant events, Rest assured that he is, nevertheless, working. So I hope you join us for the next five weeks as we take a look at what God has to say to his people who may, because of circumstances and dark powers of this world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm, start to feel overwhelmed and wonder. For such a time as this, the book of Esther, the story of Esther is told. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Father, our prayers go out um, to the friends and family and community of Jessica Ridgeway. Please surround them with your strength and comfort and encouragement. Father, I don't know if they know you or even know of you, but uh, Father, I pray that you would make yourself known to them directly, supernaturally, but also, please, Father, through the hearts and arms and giving and love of your people, being you to them. Show us, Father, show us uh, as a community here uh, not far away if there's something that we can do, something that you would like us to do, um, to bring light in the midst of these dark powers. Father, thanks uh, for the opportunity to study this fascinating story that you're telling us in Esther. May we be um, encouraged and may we find hope Father, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Would you stand, please, for the benediction this morning? <clears throat> the 
You know, I may tip my hand here for a direction I'm going next week, but that's okay. Count it as a tease for next week's sermon. You know, each of us uh, has a royal position. Did you know? We have a royal position as co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Amen? With that in mind, let me knit together the two passages that, um, or two of the passages we studied this morning by way of God's words in benediction. God says this, For our struggles are not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And who knows, who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you all. Have a great day.